Hello. Uh, this is why I saw Dan. Bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tea with Crema. My name is Chris. I'll be one of your hosts today, and I'm joined by my best friend, Emma. What's up, y'all? Today's episode is a reflection of some passionate research, a topic I got into a lot over this past summer. And so I was so passionate about it that it will probably low-key be a series and we'll be bringing quite a few people on because I have questions, so many questions. But before we introduce what the topic is, you know, over building up a little tension there, we do want to introduce our super special guest today. And so I'm going to turn it over to Emma for the introductions. I can do this. I got this, everyone. Our guest today is a day one listener and a co-conspirator in our first guest episode where we had guests coming on to wish me a happy birthday. Not really guests. It was like a pseudo guest. But our guest today is my older sister, Setsuko. Hello. Welcome to the Tea with Crema. We are super excited because I know you've seen and heard all of the changes that have gone on literally since all of those years, years, years ago, all of those seasons that weren't really seasons, but now they're seasons. And so we're super excited to have you on today's episode and then doubly so because of the topic. But before we begin, we do still have our tea check. So Emma, what tea did you bring today? I brought another fruit black tea, so today I'm drinking another one of the Ahmad teas. It is Apple Refresh. It tastes like an apple, so it's pretty good. Good job, Ahmad teas. So to go, what are you drinking today? So I have a white papaya tea from the Spice and Tea Exchange at the Stockyard in Fort Worth. It's supposed to have flavors of papaya, caramel, and coconut for a creamy, lightly sweet brew. It smells really good. Oh, the tea exchange was like really nice in the stockyards. I went there one time and I was like, oh, I really like this place. The tea that I got there wasn't great, but the shop itself is really cute. The papaya, I don't know. It's giving me like Thai tea-like flavor. Because the coconut. I'm not hating it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Chris, what are you <laughs> drinking today? Today's tea is a golden milk tea by Nepal Tea. And honestly, I was a little confused because I was like, what, I, what's the milk? What's going on here? And it is a tea made of turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and black pepper. So a lot of ingredients that I was not expecting. Very non-traditional tea, I think. And I definitely read up a little bit more about it. It is a product like straight from Nepal, actually, country. And it's definitely something that you can try with warm milk. Like you could brew it with warm milk as like a pre- go to sleep kind of tea. So I mm. might maybe try it like that. I don't really know. But it's been interesting. It's really, yeah, you can just really taste the turmeric. So it definitely says if you're a fan of someone who loves turmeric, this is the tea for you. And presumably that's accurate because <laughs> all I'm getting here is turmeric. So I think Turmeric's it's also like really health. good for, yeah, like an anti-inflammatory. It did say that on the website. I was like, okay, cool. It's good for healing the body. Inflame no more. I feel like, though, that I've seen golden milk tea at, like, a boba shop, so I feel like it should have boba. Interesting. And I'm sure if, like, I put, like, actual milk in it, then it would probably do that. But 
I'm also just now learning and exploring with milk and tea, and really only with black teas, because I just, I don't know, get a little worried when you start putting milk and stuff. Like, eh, is it actually supposed to be there? So we'll see what ha- happened. But jumping to the topic of our episode, today our episode is brought to you by the letter M. And the letter M today stands for <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and in case you're like, but what? Um, M also stands for Mormon. So today we're going to be talking about just really learning more and more about like the Mormon religion, the organization, the cult. Um, just because I have some questions wow. about it. <laughs> I'm a little sketched out by it. Also, being from Texas, I can't say that I had a lot of firsthand interactions. In fact, I think Emma was like the first person that I've knowingly met with any actual firsthand experience in the Mormon church. So, yeah, my firsthand experience was like the typical experience that one would have, which is they have that one question that we will talk about at the end of the show because it's probably like the only question everyone ever has about Mormons, but I'm going to ask it. It's like a question, more like a stereotype. Yeah, definitely. But we're going to either confirm or dispel said stereotype before the end of the episode. Not because I care. I don't really care for the stereotype. It don't mean anything to me. But, you know, it's important. It's popular. We got to get to it. So that's our episode today. That's why we're bringing you on. And just a little kind of background as to like what had happened to me to get me interested. I stumbled upon a vine, not a vine. Oh no. I stumbled on a video. From, You're dating yourself. I know. <laughs> I was like, wow, second, seven seconds on Mormonism, oh and that's what that's right? your interest? So, I mean, the video that I saw was only 30 seconds, so it didn't take much longer. But it was from, I didn't know who she was at the time, but her name is apparently Jen Shaw. Yes. Because I sent the video to Emma, and just thought it was really funny, because she was talking about how she married a man who was Islamic. He was a Muslim, and she grew up. Mormon and there were some issues in terms of like him being a black man in the Mormon church and just her diving into some of the practices of being a Mormon and just seeing that like for her just like there was some conflict there and so ultimately she left the church and all this stuff so like that was background on her specifically and then over the summer I was watching a show called We're Here which is where three drag queens go across the country usually go to small towns rural communities not progressive areas by any means and help different individuals kind of like come to terms with their reality and different aspects. So they're not just putting queer individuals in drag. Sometimes they're putting straight people in drag. They're putting parents of queer individuals in drag. So there's just like, it's a varied experience, but they did go to Utah at least two, if not three times. And so every time they would go there, I would like get a little snippet and learn a little bit more about the Mormon church and like the practices and the ideologies. And again, like as someone who didn't know much about it, there were so many times where I was like, I'm sorry, what is that? Had to do like a double take at the TV at the episode, just be like, "Mm, what? So I started asking Emma all these questions. She was like, honestly, I have not been a practicing Mormon in a very long time. So we got to ask someone who like did it a little bit longer. And so that's why we have you on the show. Cause you were a Mormon a little bit longer than Emma was. Just a little bit longer. But a lot of bit longer when you think about it. So I guess I like mean, that yeah. just takes us into our first question, which Chris kind of already alluded to. Are we still practicing Mormons today? So Setuko. That would be a no for me, fam. 
<laughs> so if you're not a practicing Mormon, what are you now? <laughs> so right now, not right now, I am a Catholic. <laughs> Just in this moment. <laughs> in this moment. No, but I was baptized as a Catholic six years ago now. And I had left the Mormon church when I was 19 years old after I had gone to college. It's just, it was just a very, there was a lot that was happening during that time in our life, our family's life. So <laughs> a lot of trauma. And so I walked away from the church because of all of that, kind of tried to find my own way. I don't know. I feel like that there's a lot of like, there's a lot of stereotyp stereotyping of Mormons that they're not Christians because of what they believe in. And I had gone to Azusa Pacific, which is a Christian school, Christian university. And being that Mormon girl there was kind of, I wouldn't want to say it's like traumatic, but it was kind of like a eye opener because I've never been known as that Mormon girl anywhere until I had gone to college. College was all about finding my way, faith as an individual, all of that stuff. So that's a, another story. That's a that's another episode on religious trauma. <laughs> In the same way that Sitsuko, so Sitsuko stopped practicing when she was 19. And so we're seven years apart. So I was probably, yeah, like 12 or 13 when I stopped practicing as well. And mine wasn't even like a stop of practicing. Like Sitsuko was an adult. So she was kind of able to like make the conscious decision to leave. Mine was more like a forceful, like we're no longer going there anymore. So I think a lot of my like not knowing stems from like me just like growing up fully in the church our mom was like a was a leader in the church as well our dad never really like as far as i could remember was not really active in the churches which is what they call it when you're like a practicing member is you're active in the church and then when you're not you're inactive so like that in itself is also kind of like looked down on when you have like an inactive parent <laughs> So our dad was inactive and, you know, like our mom was very active and all of these things. But yeah, so it was like we had gone to church our whole lives and Sitsuko had gone off to college. You know, then I like started in the young women's program, which is like when you move on, you turn 12 years old. And that's kind of when they start teaching you how to like be a Mormon, aka be a wife and a home taker and a caretaker and all of the things, homemaker. Yeah, so we're no longer practicing Mormons. I guess that's where we're at. So was it your mom's family that like brought Mormonism into your lives or was it your dad's family? That's a really good question. Actually. That's a great question. And it's also a historical question. So if we talk about missionaries and colonization, the Mormon church has a history of bringing missionaries to parts of the world that need to be saved or savages in their words again. And so there was this movement towards Polynesia in probably like the early 50s, maybe a little bit earlier than that. So our grandfather or our great-grandfather was one of the first Mormon converts in Tonga. Before, Tonga used to be widely um, Wesleyan or Methodist, and there were like little pockets of Catholicism, but Mormonism was virtually unheard of at that point. So our grandfather and our grandmother were one of the earliest converts to that. Which then at that point, and I only actually recently learned this after reading our family book, which is like a whole different story. After that, by that point, our grandfather was already an adult and he had actually was really wary of converting to Mormonism because he had grown up Wesleyan up until that point. 
So after he decided to convert to Mormonism, that's kind of when the big shift happened to all of my grandfather's siblings, and then subsequently like trickled down to us. So our dad grew up and was born and raised a Mormon. So were all of his siblings. So he was Mormon on his side. He already came in Mormon. And it's kind of very popular for like Polynesian, specifically Tongans to be Mormon. Um, there's lots of ties between Mormonism and Tongans. And then our mom, on the other hand, growing up in Hawaii, had converted to Mormonism as a teenager. So they had like one Mormon church in their town. And somehow she was converted, was not super practicing or active until she met my dad. And then when they met, that's when she started going to church more often. I don't know about like, maybe when Satsuko was a kid that my dad was more active. He was definitely not active when I was born by that point already. Yeah, there was like that shift. And then my mom kind of took it on because it was one way for us to kind of connect to our cousins, connect to our family on that side, because all of my dad's siblings, all 13 of them are still practicing Mormons. Uh, not all of them. Most of them are still practicing Mormons, the older ones at least. So yeah, that's kind of how Mormonism got brought into our family and was continued to be practiced, which we'll get a little bit further down when we get to Lamanites and our grandfather and being brown in the Mormon church and all the things that come with unpacking that experience. <laughs> Did I answer that correctly, Satsuko? Yeah, I mean, dad was not active. I, I, I can't remember a time when he was active when I was growing up. Hello. So yeah, so that was our experience was, or that is how it got brought into our family. Great question, though. I love talking about the history of Mormonism. Yeah, and I, where did you get that information from the family books? I had no idea about grandpa, great grandpa. That's from like the book from Zion to Tonga by our aunt that we don't, we don't acknowledge because that book in itself is also controversial in our family. (laughs) Because it's an inaccurate book or... Um, according to some people, it's inaccurate. According to others, it's their lived experience. So we're not going to invalidate lived experiences. But essentially, what happened in the book is it's one of our great aunts wrote a book about the family kind of like talking about our history, because back in the day, our grandfather was like a really high, our grandpa was a high ranking, like official in Tonga. And so it's his one of his little sisters wrote the book. But she like at certain points actually starts like bad mouthing our grandma, our grandma Emma. That's who I'm named after, and like talking about how she was greedy and she did not like uphold all these like cultural principles, and like that made her a bad person. And so it caused a really big rift when it first came out because, understandably, like my dad and all of his siblings were like, "That's not true." First of all, like second of all, why are you speaking ill of the dead? Like she hasn't been alive for many years now so like why are you still holding on to this so it was like a lot of backlash just because one one side of the family felt like it was an unfair portrayal of our grandma the other side felt like oh she's just telling her truth but it's like such a small snippet where she starts talking about our grandma that it's like enough (laughs) i don't know i don't actually know the full story that's like what i gleaned over the past but yep so that is currently in our library but that's where i actually learned about like the start of our family's journey into mormonism which i thought was really interesting because i was always under the belief that our like grandparents were like so for it and like they were have been part of the church and they were like all of these things and were such like strong members of the church and then to find out like actually they were all converts so (laughs) it's really interesting i think also too part of our family history is that back then the church was actually offering u.s sponsorship to people from the islands to come over to the U.S. to work 
in the temple or to do probably some kind of labor work. I feel I've heard this at some point. So that's how our grandparents came over to the U.S. Yeah. So it was also another immigration pathway. So a lot of like right. the Tongans that you see in Utah, the Tongans that you see in Hawaii are all or mostly all historically like sponsorships from the church where they would bring people in. And then in Hawaii, there's the there's BYU, which is Brigham Young University, which is a big hub for education for the Mormons. And so the thought is to bring them over to the US and then essentially like be able to kind of like then in reciprocity, like send them out to be bringers of the truth and bringers of the word of God. (laughs) So this is like a whole system. Yes. So it's a, it's a whole system. And when you think about it, it's actually really fascinating to think about like how deep it runs and the way that they were very conscious in the way that they were bringing missionaries over and like where they take missionaries and where they put missionaries. So if you're unfamiliar with like missionary work, essentially what happens is when you turn 19, you serve for two years in a location you don't know the location until you get as a male oh i'm sorry as a male it's oh no as a male it's now 18 as a female it's 19 back in our day it used to be 21 and females did not go on missions because they were supposed to already be starting to have families so that's another that's that's another topic (laughs) that's a whole other (laughs) so if you were a female and were able to go on a mission during satsuko's age time generation you were just you were trying your best (laughs) Um, I wouldn't even say that it was lucky. It was kind of like, oh, you're 21 and you're unmarried. Yeah, I think right. it's time. <laughs> you oh. need to go. You need to go on a mission. So yeah, so boys would go for two years at the age of 19 and come back when they're 21, and then the girls would go at 21 and come back 18 months later. You wouldn't know where you were going. Oh yeah, so you don't no. know until until you get your calling. So like, for example, we have a cousin that's in oh where is he? Japan, Kate, Kate Verde, and and in Japan right now, and they're like have never spoken Japanese, like have never indicated anywhere that they are Japanese speakers. But like part of the church's philosophy is that you should be able to like spread the gospel regardless of language barrier. So he's on a Japanese speaking mission, born and raised in Utah. <laughs> And now he's in Japan. And he's Tongan. And he's full Tongan. We've had cousins that were sent to like New Mexico on Spanish speaking missions. And then we've had cousins who were sent to Tonga on Tongan speaking missions. Like there's just like a wide plethora of missionaries being sent out to spread the word. (laughs) Which I think is like a pretty cool part of these missionaries being sent out, you know, because they have to live, breathe, eat whatever language it is that they are going to be proselyting in. But then at the same time, too, it's problematic. But that's a <laughs> another topic. <laughs> There's so many that are just, they just really like just branch out into like, oh, it looks really great on like the outside. And then like when we dig deeper into it, then it's like, Ugh. Mm. It's like, wait a second. Start asking too many questions. They're like, wait a right. second. Oh, Hold on. man. At this point, let's just go ahead and dive into like the juicy bits, the bits that like really got me sometimes got my blood boiling. And so really just starting hot and heavy. You kind of already mentioned this concept of like Lamanites, which was something that like I had not encountered, had never heard that word before. And so it was just kind of like tossed out at one point and I gave like a little background in the show. And then I started doing my own research and like was getting angrier. And so I'm just kind of curious about like what 
teachings or information you recall from about Lamanites growing up Mormon? So I think it should be known that in the Mormon church, they believe in four books. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. And so the Book of... Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, Doctrine and Covenants is a book in the Pearl of Great Price. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably should fact check that one. (laughs) It's been a minute. Anyway, but the Book of Mormon is really what is like the bread and butter, I feel, of the Mormon faith and what their doctrine is based off of. And it was a book that was written, translated by Joseph Smith. And it's supposed to be a depiction of Jesus in what would now be the, the Americas. And so one of the main families is Nephi, or one of the main main characters is Nephi. And <laughs> probably should say prophet. Prophets? Yeah, is Nephi. And he had all these brothers, Laman and Lemuel. And basically the premise of it is that Nephi is the righteous one. He is the chosen son. You know, he does everything right. And Laman and Lemuel were just basically like these frat brothers that would go and sin and stuff and not doing what the Lord wanted them to do. So in turn, the Lord made them dark. And so that so then that's what my interpretation was, is that Laman, the Lamanites then were all cursed because they were stricken dark, dark of dark complexion. And so uh, I guess I feel like that it's it's weird because it's like, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of like spoon fed all of these things like this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it was. This is what you believe in, you know, and you're just like eating it all up because you're like, this is what I'm supposed to believe in. And this is how things are. So I don't think it ever occurred to me until I was a teenager that this is like, this is not a a good thing to believe in, you know? And, um, and I don't think that it wasn't until I was an adult, actually, after I had already left the church that I didn't realize that people of color, men of color were not allowed to hold the priesthood, which is like a big thing in the Mormon religion because they were black or because they were of color. So it wasn't, I think that didn't change until like the seventies because somebody had a revelation that all men should be, created equal and should be able to hold the priesthood if they are righteous and worthy quote unquote which i think this is interesting because it like kind of now just like cements and again we're just speaking from our own our our own experiences as well which again like we were cultural mormons not super like practicing mormons where we had family home evening on Mondays, we went to mutual, which was like on Thursdays or like youth group, like we went to church on Sundays, like there was like a whole like there's like one aspect of being Mormon where you're like culturally Mormon, which is like where we were. And then there's also another aspect where you're like brought up in the teachings and like in the learnings and all of the things like I remember I had class or like not classmates, but like went to Sunday school and like so many of the kids could like recite all of these like Book of Mormon stories. And I was like, man, I'm just here for the vibes. Like, (laughs) we're just here for the community. We're here to like, you know, be able to like commune with others and all of these things. But like, yeah, it wasn't until later on. And like, I don't think I ever really actively learned about like Lamanites 
in the way that Setsuko has an understanding because she also was able to attend seminary. So seminary is a class that you would attend in every morning before she would go to high school. So it was like a zero period, but it was for Mormons. So they would all go to seminary at 6 a.m. And it was from right at 6 a.m. So it was like from 6 to 7. And they would just basically, I actually don't know what they learned in seminary. Because I never had to go. <laughs> Seminary was basically our Bible study before school. So every year of the school year, we would focus on one book, essentially. So in seminary, we would read through, in one year, we would read through the whole Old Testament, New Testament, you know, whatever. So then by the time that you graduate, you have read literally every single book page. Oh, I- Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I was actually seminary president my senior year. And I had gotten a seminary scholarship uh, award to go to college, which I used it at a Christian school. (laughs) (laughs) And there was no stipulations as to where you had to use it. There were no stipulations. And at that time, money was money. I also think I also feel like they're like there's specifically not stipulations because I wonder if what they're hoping is that regardless of where you go to school, you'll still bring the word with you. Right. So it's kind of like, oh, well, if we can get her into like this school that's like full of sin and like the, you know, the University of Florida's and like Arizona States, you know, like we're going to give her money so she can go out there and proselytize and bring bring all these people to the truth not you yeah, clown sure the party schools <laughs> <laughs> they need jesus any jesus at this point they'll take anybody they, they need the catholic god they need a methodist god they need somebody <laughs> we sure fooled them though <laughs> wait so then i have a question because i'm confused because if you're we're referring to like lamanites as people of brown not white skin Yes. Would that or would that not apply to Pacific Islanders? That's no. Okay. So that's a great, that's a great point, Christopher. That rule yeah. still apply to all people of color. So yeah. you, you could only hold the priesthood if you were white. So if we recall back from my little family history that I just gave, that meant that those early converts from our family were unable to hold the priesthood. So what would happen is that they would have like those who are missionaries and like mission presidents and people who are serving in in country. Those were the only ones who could hold the priesthood. So you could be a convert and you could be someone that's like spreading the word of God, but you weren't able to like bless people. You weren't able to, I guess it's important to explain like what is priesthood power. Yeah. So <laughs> am I supposed to explain that? <laughs> I, I, mean, I, feel- I sure as heck am not. <laughs> I'm trying to like think of what a good analogy would be for to how to explain what the priesthood power was. It's kind of like superpower praying. I feel like that's like that's like conflating it though. It's like not really that. It's like yeah, it's kind of like so the priesthood was only meant for men, a and men when they get to a certain age, which is twelve, I believe, they're able to then hold a certain level of the priesthood until they get to a certain age and then they can hold the full priesthood, I guess. But it's like you have the ability or the authority to bless others. So by laying of hands, so you can let, you can baptize other people. You can bless the sacrament, which is like the bread and water that goes out to everybody. Also known as the Eucharist. You can 
bless the sick kind of thing. You know, it's just like this thing, like this superstar thing that you can have. And it was only meant for men to hold. And at that time, just white men. Originally. So then when y'all were in the church or experiencing these things, I do know that historically, like, again, the rules changed a little bit throughout the history of Mormonism. So then by the time you all were like experiencing it in like early 2000s, late 90s, were those things kind of still prevalent? No, because I believe that it was in the 1970s sometime that it had passed in the church that all worthy men, meaning that they are following the rules, the policies and procedures of the church, you know, and paying their tithe, you know, as long as you were a worthy, quote unquote, worthy man, you can hold the priesthood. It didn't matter what color your skin was. Okay, because you know, some people be like, okay, in writing, it's that. But then were you actually seeing that practice? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like Emma had said, we had grown up in the church, you know, all of our family members were in the church. So we had uncles that were bishops, which are like, managers of their little region (laughs) i guess is probably like the best way to put it yeah and you know like all of our cousins they also would bless the sacrament so they held their little piece of the priesthood as well so i mean we grew up with it being full force yeah through i think it wasn't until probably until i was an adult either like i don't i don't even know if i'm allowed to tell this story but we about to spill some family tea so (laughs) our our grandfather was brown, obviously, because he's oh, Tongan. And yeah. so, like like I said earlier, our grandma passed away when my dad was five. So by that point, my dad had eight siblings, nine siblings. I think she passed with the, nine, the ninth. Yeah. So our grandmother passed away while she was in childbirth with our ninth uncle. So she, she and the baby both passed away. So at this point, my dad is now five years old. He's being brought up by a single father. And at that time, that's kind of unheard of to have that many kids and no one helping, you know, to take care. Also, our grandpa was like really handsome, according to like family lore. We've seen pictures. He is, he is a handsome dude. So where we got our good looks from. (laughs) (laughs) As one would say, he was, he was a very marketable guy. So very quickly afterward, he got married to a white woman who happened to be in Tonga. I'm not sure why she was was there, but she was also a widow. I'm not sure, but she was also a widow and had two young kids, two or three young kids. So my dad remembers like my grandpa getting married to this white lady and doesn't really remember much else. He's like, it was such a brief time. And later on, like after finding out and like kind of going into my dad's memory, what had happened was when they got married, because at that point, the US had not recognized interracial marriages, correct? So even though our grandfather was not, was not black, he was still. A person of color there yeah he was not white essentially right so the mormon church still upheld those principles of what as well of like you cannot intermarry within races so what had happened was because my grandpa was so high up in the church they essentially said that if you do not divorce this woman you will be excommunicated which means that you will no longer be able to practice so our grandpa was one of the first principals, one of the first tongan principals at the mormon high school in Tonga, and he would have like been stripped of all his titles. And so 
what he did instead was they decided to divorce amicably. They said, okay, the church is not going to recognize us. We cannot go to the temple. We cannot be sealed. So they divorced. And then after that, that is when he met our grandma or our grandma who we were raised with, who is my dad's stepmom, but like basically raised my dad. And she was Tongan. So they allowed that marriage. But what was interesting is that divorce within the Mormon church is very frowned down upon because when you get married, you if you are both practicing Mormons or you are both practicing members, you get sealed in the temple. I don't know what happens in the temple. I still don't to this day, just because like I was never of age to go to the temple and do all of the things. So it's interesting that they were able to allow, right, quote unquote, allow our grandfather and this woman to get a divorce when divorce was so like looked down upon within the church. But they were kind of like, it's okay. We'll like, we'll make it go away. And then, yeah, so he was no longer able to be married to that woman. She returned back to the States. I think my dad also said that one of her sons was also really sickly. And so they had to come back to the States anyway. But that is like a little tea dropped in there. Hopefully none of my aunts listen to this because I feel like I'm going to get some backlash on dropping that. But that's like, I think that just like furthers the, you know, the narrative of like that there was like real racism that was experienced in the church. And because we grew up in Hawaii and all of our other Mormon friends and Mormon community members were all people of color. I don't think we ever really recognized that like when they're talking about Lamanites, they're like talking about us. <laughs> so I feel like that you know a lot more about like the family connection to the church than I do because I the only part that I knew about that was that Grandpa Helu was at one point for like two point five seconds married to a white woman, but I didn't know that they were married in the church. Well, they were unrecognized. Well, I, I mean, church, I know that, right. So. <laughs> but yeah, interesting. So it's always really interesting to me that they were able to somehow make this divorce go away and still allow her to get into the celestial kingdom, which I feel like that in itself is already a different... Like, I feel like there's so many different layers to being Mormon that we cannot simply cover in like one episode. Yeah. So I feel, I think too, that it's also really interesting because I, I don't think that it became an epiphany until it was just like an aha moment right now that I had never put myself in that same basket that I would also be considered like we would be considered like Lamanites as well because we are not white I I guess I would have never I've never really put that connection together until now (laughs) today Today years years old old when I came to the realization that we would be the cursed ones (laughs) It's just like the way that, again, like the way that it's introduced, it's not, you're not introduced like as that character in the story. So it makes sense that like when they're telling you those stories, they're not telling it like as you are that person, they're just like telling you this story. And so I would imagine like, especially in a more modern teaching of Mormonism, that's, you don't want to alienate people that you're trying to convert and like be a part of the religion. But I think that also too comes from like the whole savior mentality. I feel like that not only just Mormonism, but just a lot of mainstream religions in general. And, you know, like that's all problematic in itself, you know, where we have these missionaries that are coming from these very privileged countries that have these families that have enough money to support them for the next two years or 18 months living in this foreign country, be it like a third world country, even, you know, like the villages in the Philippines you know, or in Tonga, or, you know, Thailand, or any other country or whatever, and coming in and giving serving them the gospel to bring them to this church, 
that in turn, you know, they promise all these things that, you know, can they deliver it? You know what I mean? Like, and like, how can you deliver that? Like, and you're telling someone that they're the cursed people, like, right. And you know what, too, now that I think of it as well, I feel like that it also happens in like the Old Testament as well with Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. It was Abel, right, was the good son. And then I believe it was Cain and all of his descendants, you know, because he was the the unrighteous son. I want to say that it was all, they were also struck dark as well. Like it's like a common theme within the teachings, I guess, that if you bad, you black. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, if you consider just like the whitewashing of Jesus, like it just. Right. I was not raised Christian, so I don't know the Christian stories either. So, like, I just don't know them. I'm not saying that they aren't there. The more I learn about Christianity, the more I have, like, the same kind of, like, oh, my God, kind of moments. I just don't know them offhand. I just happened to spend a little bit of time this summer learning about Mormon teachings for some random reason. It's very interesting. I'm glad I've done it, though. There's so much more. There's so many more layers, like, that I feel like we could keep going, but... I know we're going to we're going to keep the tea hot because you've you've mentioned this one a few times. And so, like, I'm really curious about, like, your experience with gender roles in the church, because I know that you've you've thrown it out there a few times. So I'm just like, okay, wait a second. You seem like you're ready on this one. I mean, I think it's very a Stepford wife kind of an upbringing, you know, where the woman is the caretaker of the home. She's meant to breed children and to raise children and then the man is supposed to be the financial caregiver you know it's like to the point where i feel like that there's a running joke at byu which is the mormon university that there is a whole major for homemaking where they teach you how to be a wife (laughs) that you get your mrs yes your mrs which is your mrs your missus degree you are going in to find out how to first find a husband and then second know how to like take care of your home i will say that mormon women are like a whole different breed in the best way possible you know they are like they're the ones who like create all of their kids like halloween costumes like all of their bake homemade bread and like have all of these things when you think of like the 1950s like home wife homemaker like housewife homemaker like that is like my ideal or like that is what i think of like when i think of like mormon women or at least the women that we were around and surrounded by and our mom you know was the best at doing as much as she could while also running her own business but i remember like going over to like friends houses and like their mom like cut my carrots up into flowers and mom just gives me carrots (laughs) or money for for lunch lunch money (laughs) yeah or or lunch money you know like it was it and it's it was very much that our like we i think grew up with such different mormon parents than our peers like who had those parents that were like went to byu and like married or returned missionary or an rm like that's like almost like a cultural status in itself too is like being able to marry a returned missionary because you married someone who was like a bringer of the gospel and then also like having gone to byu oh and if he was an eagle scout that was also another plus yeah and if he was an eagle scout which meant that he like went through all of the boy scouts training and things like that like there were like all of these levels to like how you could one up someone in the mormon church but like gender roles wise like can you talk about your experience in young women's because like i my experience was so like kind of tampered down because i didn't go through the full thing but like what did you guys talk about in young women's 
I feel like that we did a lot of crafts in Young Women and a lot of, I mean, I, I remember a Young Women's Camp where we would, it was basically like Girl Scouts where we would learn like wilderness training and stuff. But, you know, the church was also like really into like emergency preparedness. So I feel like that a lot of the things that we had done too in youth program was what should you put in your 72 hour pack for your whole family? And a lot of like, now that I look back on it, it's like a lot of zombie apocalyptic things. Like, why are we preparing for the end of the world? Because the Mormons will be the ones at the end. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I feel like that even growing up, like a lot of that stuff was like romanticized, you know, where it's like when you, you grow up in the church and you graduate from high school and then you marry a return missionary, you get married in the church or in the temple, which is like, reaching the top level top tier of what you could do because you're sealed for time and all eternity to your partner and then you go off and you have all of these children and you make all of these like nice nice little crafts that could go on to etsy and pinterest and tiktok content creator now (laughs) i know i feel like mormons would be killing it right now You just have like this very like picturesque kind of life, you know, and that's what I had grown up like hoping for myself, you know, like that I would be married by 21 to my boyfriend who came back, who just recently returned from his mission, who I wrote my letters to for the whole two years. And we would get married in the San Diego temple because that's where I had always dreamed about getting married and then I would have six children and I didn't know what kind of career I would have, but I knew that this is what I wanted for my life, you know, and I would show up every, every Sunday with my husband and my very obedient six children. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be my life. And, you know, we would raise this very nice picturesque little family. And I don't think, and it wasn't until, you know, I went off to college where it was just like, oh no, girl, <laughs> this ain't the life for you. Ain't God funny. Well, he Real, <laughs> real funny, you know, and then life just kind of just takes a big old dump and we just move on. Do you not have like a little sweetheart that you imagined going off to the mission to write your letters to? Oh, I... <laughs> Absolutely, she did. I mean, the tea is like being spilt. I did. I, I did have a a person. <laughs> a very long-term person, too. But he was also a member in the church. And, like, that is – but it's such a common thing, I think, that we, like, grew up with was that, like, a lot of times – people who were getting married in the church were A, getting married young, and B, getting married to their first ever boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, it was, like, their first ever anything. Or if they hadn't dated, because, like, I think church, like, best practices is, like, you don't date until you're 16. Yeah. And so, and when you do date, you date on group dates. Like, you never do one-on-one dates or anything like that. So, Which is why my relationship was scandalous. Yeah, so like she had st- was dating him younger than that and like a whole different slew of things, but like it was so normalized for us that like yeah, we're going to be like partnered with this one person for the rest of our lives because we had seen adults like with children and like who were living that right. life of like yeah, this was like our first partner ever. Like we both came back from our missions and we just knew and you know, now it's like a running joke that like you 
get married so quick because you want to have like extramarital, like not extramarital, you want to have like marital affairs, but you cannot until you're married. Right. So it's like a whole, it's a really sad actually, when you think about all of the But that's also, I have learned from my time at APU too, that that's not just a common Mormon practice to get married young. It's also a common Christian practice too. You know, the running joke on campus was always ring by spring, you know? So I guess it's just a religious thing in general. You know, nobody wants to try the bike first before you buy it. Mm. So you just got to buy the bike and hope that it works well. (laughs) (laughs) Purity culture. I think that's like a whole, that could be a whole different episode is on purity culture. (laughs) But no, like, I mean, like what Emma was mentioning, you know, my, my mom was my young women's president for my entire adolescence. So it was very, it was, I feel like that it was very controversial for her slash embarrassing because her oldest daughter was dating very young. And my first boyfriend, I think we got together when we were 13. Um, and he was the church bad boy because his parents were in and out of the picture, raised by his grandparents who were active inactive like they weren't always coming to church every sunday so you know he was the bad boy always getting into trouble all these things and we had dated all the way until we almost got married at 19 so that's that was a lot that's the tea on that <laughs> that's where that's where the for the brew stops <laughs> but you live and you learn you know it'd be like that it happens it's fine yeah and so okay Again, we know we could go. There's more. There's always. Now I've learned there is more. But I do want to address the the fun Mormon elephant in the room before we move on to the last part <laughs> of the episode. And so just to ask, to clarify for people who have this idea in their head, Mormons are very often associated with polygamy. And I know like from my research, it's a really odd thing for them to be associated with because it has not occurred in the church since the very early, early days of the history of Mormonism. So I'm just like really curious as to like why it's such a lingering notion. Was it something that was even like addressed for you all growing up? I think that it was part of like the early church that somewhere in Because a lot of the men in the Bible, a lot of the prophets in the Bible had multiple wives. And so that became a thing when the first, when the church first started too. Because the church itself is, is very young in relation to the basic Christian belief or even like Catholicism, right? I want to say like at the very beginning, yes, they did believe in plural marriage because that was something that the prophets had also practiced. But I can't say for sure when it was denounced in the church that it was no longer going to be part of the faith. But there are other sects of the sex, yeah, of the uh, branches, right, of the Mormon church that people who had taken pieces of what they wanted and liked of the mainstream, what is now the mainstream Mormon church, and then started their own, like the sister wives. I believe they're part, like a part of the fundamental. Mormon or Church of Latter-day Saints or whatever. So it's not part of the mainstream church. So, I mean, that's not something that we've experienced in our upbringing. So as mainstream Mormons, we're putting it to rest. Yeah. 
mainstream. It's so interesting. Also, if you want to know it, I did look it up just because I was curious because I always am. And they had to outlaw the practice of polygamy in order for Utah to become a state in the union because the U.S. was like, no, we don't do that here. And so in order to move from territory to state status for the state of Utah, that they had to like officially say that as a church, we do not do this practice anymore. I don't remember the exact years or all of the fine details of it, but that was generally... Oh, it says 1890. See, I was on it. Because, yeah, the church was still less than, yeah, like, 50 years old at that point. I want to say, like, closer to, like, 20 or 30. But, again, neither here nor there. It's just something I read about. I just wanted to confirm and put it to rest. So it does still apparently happen in some parts of individuals. Right. But that's were... also why the sister wives had to move out of Utah. Mm. Because they were still practicing or they were still practicing plural marriages. I think it's because of the things that like kind of come on mainstream television is like when they are practicing plural marriages, it tends to be that they like include like, oh, they're fundamentalist Latter day Saints. So people just see Latter day Saints and they're like, oh, I thought you said Mormons don't practice polygamy. But it's like, no, that's like, that's not. That's not the one that we practice. And then they don't go any farther than like Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Mormons still do this. Yeah. So then they like put the two together. I get it. I mean, I have more questions, but that's okay. Because again, this is a multi-part episode. We are excited to continue the discussion later on. I first and foremost just appreciate you're being on the episode, Suko, after all of these years listening to the episodes and appreciate your candidness and sharing your experiences on what could be considered like a very sensitive and personal topic. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the episode. It's time for our rapid fire question. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone loves it's so funny you could tell your sisters because you like sound very similar when you do the rapid fire questions <laughs> intro it's like wow you do all have like the same intonation and everything <laughs> so i'll go first my question is and i saw this on tiktok with some training what olympic sport would you potentially not come last in not last with, with not training last. some training with some with training some, as in like not a lot just like a little yes. bit like not like not like you're gonna like tomorrow like you're gonna quit your job and just become this athlete like we're gonna do like some training and then like hopefully not come in last what would it be i would want to do my best at archery it's so funny the tiktok creator said that is as that well. an olympic they were like, sport I think with some- yes it is exactly. mm-hmm. it was so so funny because they said oh i think i could come not last in archery so people were like clowning her in the comments and we're like do you know how difficult archery is like it's not just shooting a bow and arrow like it's i would just like want to not come in last (laughs) because also that's the thing so like the olympics are also some like kind of really obscure sports right and the people who do it have like they're masters at obscurity yeah but i mean they're also olympic athletes so like there's that too facts i said curling I was going to say that. I really like curling. Like, I like yes. the idea of it. I think it's actually really difficult, but I like the idea of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because you ain't got to be fit to be doing that. We you can just represent have to... Thoma in curling. Oh, my gosh. Them. Because all you have to do is you have to know physics, right? Basically, how to make the ice, like, smooth so that it goes faster or slower or I don't even know. But you, all I know is that you don't, you don't have to run for this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't gotta be fit. 
Like regular snugglers can do this. You just need a little strategy. Yeah, a little strategy. And you need a little bit of like a little flexibility as well. Because, you know, you got to do like that. I can be flexible. I think that you would be the groomer and I would be like the the one, you know, like the one like pushing the little ball. Yes. The pusher. The curler. I would be be the pusher. (laughs) She's a pusher, Katie. She's a pusher. (laughs) What is your question for today? Let's go. My question today is, would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? Would I be able to see it like continuously? Like the 10 minutes? Or is it just like there are no side thing? questions to this question I just found on Google. Take it with your own interpretation. <laughs> I feel like the 10 minutes into the future is like almost that so Raven-esque. I think I'd like to see 150 years. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. I don't believe in looking into my own life. So 150 years. Could you imagine I look 150 years in the future and it's still me? <laughs> what a plot twist that would be. You're like, oh man, I have another how many years left? <laughs> <laughs> At least. What would you fix it to go? I would definitely pick 150 years too, because I feel like that 10 minutes is just not enough time because I would literally just be sitting doing the same thing 10 <laughs> minutes from now. <laughs> like that's not, watching that's me, not watching any fun. Myself. Right, exactly. But 150 years, it would be interesting to see what this world looks like because, wow. Excuse me? That's another I episode. want ice cream, please. <laughs> that's so fun. I'm glad I also brought a time travel question. So mine is... If you were to be reborn and were given the option of being reborn 400 years in the past or 400 years in the future, which one would you choose? 400 years in the past. That's 16. No, not that one. 400 years in the future, please. (laughs) I feel like 400 years in the past, like... I choose 400 years in the future as well. Because people are like dying of like... Everything. Typhoid, cholera. Just like not having good, like not having... The organ trail. Hygienic. Yeah. (laughs) Not washing their hands. <laughs> also, like yes. we're also we're like we're brown. Like I don't think we'd survive regardless. No. So. <laughs> Wasn't a good and time. Then, I also don't think that there was running. There were no toilets back then, so definitely would still be throwing all of your poop and pee outside the window. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna, gonna be a no for me, Sam. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what 400 years from now could be? You know, like the earth is apparently not going to live that long anyway. So. Well, I'm think that's why I was thinking that it could be like Xenon girl of the 21st century. It could be that. That we were living in a space station. I posed that question to like other people and then they were saying the same things. I was like, but could you imagine you do 400 years in the future and it's basically just history repeated. And so then it's like <laughs> you've gotten scammed because you thought it was going to be better. And it's just the same as going 400 years in the past. Except now we have like the knowledge to do it, but we just don't have space. We don't have resources. <laughs> right. It's like Wally. I ultimately chose 400 years in the future as well. With that same, <laughs> just like singularly just knowing that like a black person in the 1600s and you want me to do what? No. It's just, Absolutely not. <laughs> it's not going to happen for me. Again, Suko, we are very appreciative of having you on the episode. I have learned a lot and I'm excited to continue learning about the Mormon church. Again, I'm just like someone who likes to learn about things in general, but having that insider perspective, definitely like it's a little different, you know, as opposed to just like reading a Wikipedia article or talking to Emma who doesn't remember half the stuff. So <laughs> although it's clearly also not she Emma's does. fault though. <laughs> I don't remember practices. I t- I'm telling you, like, I remember my experience and I remember hearing others experience. But like, if you ask, if you quiz me on Mormonism right now and we're like, what's, who's Nephi? Like, I'd be like, I mean, 
The guy said that. Person that we know in the place. I don't know. It's a whole thing. That's also the wrong prophet that I'm singing to. <laughs> He's like, but she knows the songs, though. I also think that we should. I don't even know if we had done this at the beginning, but you know, everything that we had said is based on our experiences, right? Not factual. Somebody would have to do the Google research to figure out the real dates and times and timestamp everything but the accuracies right don't fact check us it's all from the memories or actually do fact check us do fact check us and leave it in the comments (laughs) (laughs) don't forget to like and subscribe like and subscribe (laughs) oh yes that was that was the point just to get the personal perspective because i was reading all of the academic articles but like again reading an academic article reading about the history of something is different from living a part of that experience right so that was the biggest thing. So I am super appreciative. Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? See, I feel like that I'm also the first one to be on here who has nothing to plug or promote. <laughs> Jeffrey and Justice didn't promote anything. Jeffrey just promoted his backpack that he really likes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I promote... Oh, 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 oh. Promote self-care because I don't do enough of that. And I just listened to your episode on self-care. That so. Part. We should all practice a little bit more of that. Like my self-care today was washing my hair in an uninterrupted shower. Love that for you. Me too. (laughs) That's self-care. It's real. It is so real. All right. Well, Emma, where can people find the podcast? Oh, I can't wait for this part. Stop. (laughs) I was right there in the mode. Okay, hold on. You can find our podcast on Instagram and Facebook at The Tea with Crema. If you'd like to buy us a cup of tea, you can also Venmo us at The Tea with Crema. You can stream our podcast on all of your favorite streaming sites. We hope to see you next time. Wow. Do you read that off of a card? I did not. That was my brain. I love that.